ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد so carrying on then with the chapter that we were on, we now arrive at the evidence where the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, إِيَّاكُمْ وَالْغُلُوْ فَإِنَّمَا أَهْلَكَ مَنْ كَانَ قَبْلَكُمُ الْغُلُوْ Be warned from al-ghulu. From exaggeration, excessiveness, going beyond the boundaries. For indeed, it was al-ghulu. This excessiveness and exaggeration that destroyed those who came before you. Hakada dhakarahu al-musannifu. رحمه الله تعالى من غير أن يذكر راويه ومن غير أن يعزوه إلى مخرج من أصحاب الكتب بل جعل ما كان ذلك بياضا In the actual text of Kitab al-Tawheed الشيخ الفوزان says that there was no reference given for this particular hadith however it is the hadith Narrated by Abdullah ibn Abbas radiyallahu anhuma and it can be found in the Sunan of Abi Dawood and in the Sunan of Ibn Majah and in the Musnad and what is the Musnad? The Musnad of Al-Imam Ahmad. There are many books known as the Musnad. Many of the scholars, their books are known as the Musnad. Al-Musnad. But when you say Al-Musnad, the origin of that, the default, is the Musnad of Al-Imam Ahmad. That is the one that is recognized by the title as a default. وَهَذَا حَصَلَ فِي مُنْصَرِفِهِ صلى الله عليه وسلم في حجة الوداع من مزدلفة إلى منى من أجل رمي جمرة العقبة This particular narration it occurred during the hajj when the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم was doing hajj and how many times did the Prophet do Hajj in his life? Four. You said four. One. You said one. One. The Prophet ﷺ did Hajj once during his lifetime, the farewell Hajj, as it is known as Hajjatul Wida'ah, the farewell Hajj. In that Hajj, it is mentioned 
that when the Prophet ﷺ was going from Muzdalifah to Mina, and you have to have a picture in your mind of how Hajj works, where you go on the 8th day of Dhul Hijjah, in the Islamic calendar, there are how many months? 12 months, just like the calendar that you all know, January, February. There are 12 months in the Islamic calendar as well. And the final month in the Islamic calendar, the 12th month, is known as Dhul Hijjah, which means the month of Hajj. Dhul Hijjah, the 12th month of the Islamic calendar, the final month of the Islamic year. On the 8th day of that month, the 8th of the 12th Islamic date, that is the date when Hajj begins every year. On the 8th of Dhul Hijjah, the 8th of the 12th month of the Islamic calendar. On that day, the believers, the Hijjaj, they will go to Mina. All of the tents, you've seen the white pictures of the white tents. They go to Mina and they stay that day in Mina and they sleep that night in Mina. Then the next morning, 9th of the Hijjah, they go to Arafah and they stay in Arafah until the sunset, until Maghrib, and then from there they go to a place called Muzdalifa, and they pray Maghrib and Isha at Muzdalifa, and then sleep the night in Muzdalifa. Then the next morning, the 10th of Dhul Hijjah, which is the day of Eid. If you're not in Hajj, the 10th of Dhul Hijjah is the day of Big Eid. The 10th of Dhul Hijjah. On that morning, the pilgrims, the Hujjaj, then leave Muzdalifah, and they go to Mina, and they go to the pillars, the Jamarat, and the stone, just the big one, just the final pillar on that day. And then the next three days, or two days, if they leave early, they stay in Mina, and go every day and stone all three of the pillars. So here... This hadith, it occurred from when the Prophet ﷺ was leaving Muzdalifah, going to Mina to do the stoning. So on what day was that? 8th, 9th, 10th, which day? The 10th day. On the 10th day of the Hijjah, for everybody not in Hajj, then it's Eid. On that morning, the messenger was leaving Muzdalifah, going to Mina to do the stoning of the one pillar. وَلَمَّا كَانَ فِي الطَّرِيقِ بَيْنَ مُزْدَلِفَةِ وَمِنَا قَالَ لِبْنِ عَبَّاسِ إِلْتَقِطْ لِي الْحَصَى So on the way from Muzdalifah to Mina, he said to Ibn Abbas, رضي الله عنهما, Go and pick up some pebbles for me to do the stoning with. Pick up some pebbles for me. فَلَقَطَ لَهُ سَبْعَ حَصَيَاتِ مِثْلَ حَصَى الْخَذَفِ 
So, Abdullah ibn Abbas went and picked up seven small pebbles. Went and picked up seven small pebbles. Small pebbles, just a bit bigger than the size of chickpeas. فَأَخَذَهَا صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ بِيَدِهِ الْكَرِيمَةِ So the Prophet ﷺ took them from Ibn Abbas into his hand. Took them from Ibn Abbas into his hand. ثُمَّ نَفَضَهَا وَالنَّاسُ يَنْظُرُونَ إِلَيْهِ ثُمَّ قَالَ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ أَمْثَالَ هَؤُلَاءِ فَرْمُوا وَإِيَّاكُمْ وَالْغُلُوْ فَإِنَّمَا أَهْلَكَ مَنْ كَانَ قَبْلَكُمُ الْغُلُوْ So then the messenger, upon receiving those seven pebbles, just slightly bigger than the size of chickpeas, which is the size they have to be or they are supposed to be, the messenger then said to the people, this type of pebbles, this is the type of pebbles that you are to throw, this size. He said to them all then, this is the size of the pebbles you throw, and be warned from exaggeration, meaning throwing big stones and rocks and things, be warned from throwing the big rocks or big stones. These are the ones that you throw, this size. Be warned from exaggeration and excessiveness in an affair, for indeed those who came before you were destroyed because of their exaggeration and excessiveness in the affair. فَهَذَا يَدُلُّ عَلَىٰ أَنَّ الْوَاجِبْ عَلَيْنَا أَنَّ تَقَيَّدَ بِالْعِبَادَةِ كَمَا جَاءَتْ This shows therefore that we have to restrict ourselves to doing the worship in the way that it has come, in the way that it has been prescribed. So the messenger said, إِيَّاكُمْ When he told them, pick up these size pebbles to throw, and be warned, he said to them, be warned of الْغُلُو And that we've already mentioned is الزِّيَادَةِ عَلَى الْحَدِّ الْمَشْرُوعِ that is to go beyond the legislated levels and amounts. وَهَذَا لَا يَجُوزُ And this is not permissible. وَهُوَ مَرْدُودٌ And that is something rejected. And it is destruction for a person. بَلْ نَتَقَيَّدُ بِضَوَابِطِ الْعِبَادَةِ كَمَا جَاءَتْ فِي سُنَّةِ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ Rather, we restrict ourselves to the criteria of worship that has come to us in the sunnah of the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. وَلَيْسَ لَنَا تَدَخُّلْ فِي تَحْدِيدِ الْعِبَادَةِ وَمَوَاقِيتِهَا وَصِفَاتِهَا وَيَئَاتِهَا وَإِنَّمَا يُتْبَعْ فِي هَذَا مَا دَلَّ عَلَيْهِ الدَّلِيلِ مِنْ كِتَابِ اللَّهِ وَسُنَّةِ رَسُولِهِ sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and it is not allowed for us to get involved in deciding how to do worship and the times to do worship and the descriptions of, of uh, the methods of how to do that worship, the forms of doing that worship. It is not for us to get involved in those affairs. 
Rather, we stick to and follow the evidence as it has come in the Qur'an and the Sunnah and do our worship upon that. Because as the Messenger said, those who came before you, they were destroyed as a consequence of their ghulu, of their exaggeration. مِثْلٌ نَصَارَ غَلَوْ فِي عِيسَى عَلَيْهِ السَّلَامِ just like the Christians who exaggerated in regards to Isa alayhi salam. يعني فأخرجهم الغلو من الدين إلى الكفر. So their exaggeration, it took them out of the religion into kufr, into disbelief. فهلكوا. So they were destroyed. وهم يريدون النجاح. And they wanted salvation. لكن لما كانت طريقاتهم غير مشروعة لم تحصل لهم النجاح. But because their method was not a legislated method, then they did not receive salvation. وإنما حصل لهم الهلاك. But instead they were destroyed. فكل أحد يريد النجاة. مِنْ غَيْرِ أَنْ يَسْلُكَ طَرِيقَهَا فَإِنَّهُ هَالِكَ So anyone who wants salvation, but they tread upon a pathway that is the incorrect pathway for it, then instead they will receive destruction. لَا نَجَاتَ إِلَّا بِاتِّبَاعِ الرَّسُولِ صلى الله عليه وسلم there is no salvation to be had except upon the methodology of the messenger in following the messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Mahma kallafa al No matter how much a person takes it upon himself and opposes the methodology of the messenger in what he's doing and the worship he's trying, then all of that from him will be considered exaggeration, going outside of the sharia, and so he will be destroyed in destruction. And so he is in resemblance to those who came before us and were destroyed due to their exaggeration. So here then, the Prophet ﷺ has warned us from exaggeration in worship. And At-Tahdhir min al-Ghulubi fil-Ibadat warned us from the exaggeration in worship wal-Ghulubi fil-Ashkhas and exaggeration in personalities, in people wal-Ghulubi fi kulli shay and exaggeration in anything. فالغلو في كل شيء ممنوع Exaggeration in everything is prohibited والمثل يقول And the method says The parable, the example says كل شيء جاوز حده انقلب إلى ضده Everything that goes beyond its prescribed limitations then it changes over into its opposite. Everything that goes beyond its limitations, 
then it ends up in the opposite of what it's supposed to be. From goodness, it turns into badness. Every type of exaggeration, whether in worship, whether in personalities and people, whether in any other affair, it is destruction. But the path to salvation is in being balanced and upright. Being balanced and upright. These are all the words of a Sheikh Al-Fawzan. Being balanced and upright. And then Allah said, فَاسْتَقِمْ كَمَا أُمِرْتَ وَمَنْ تَابَ مَعَكَ وَلَا تَطْغَوْ Be upright as you have been commanded and those who repented with you and do not fall into tughyan wala tatagaw, meaning do not go beyond the limits. وَمَا هَلَكَتِ الْخَوَارِجُ وَالْمَعْتَزِلَ وَعُلَمَاءِ الْكَلَامِ إِلَّا بِسَبَبِ غُلُوِّهِمْ And the khawarij and the mu'tazila and the, the, the scholars of rhetoric, philosophers and their likes, all of them they were not destroyed except due to their exaggeration and excessiveness in the affairs. The Khawarij, they had a great amount of worship, and yet even the companions used to think that their worship compared to the Khawarij was very little, and they used to recite the Qur'an. However, what they did in the end was that they did not restrict themselves to what is legislated, and as a consequence, they ended up in destruction. But Ahlul Sunnah tawassatu. Ahlul Sunnah are upon the middle path, upright upon that balanced way. And so they are not, or they did not fall into destruction as the Khawarij and the Mu'tazila and their likes did due to their ghulu in the religion their excessiveness and exaggeration in the religion. Then in Sahih Muslim, there is a hadith from Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, radiyallahu anhu, where he said, Anna Rasulallahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, قال, that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said, هَلَكَ الْمُتَنَطِّعُونَ هَلَكَ الْمُتَنَطِّعُونَ That the ones who go into extravagance or exaggeration or beyond the limits of an affair, then they are destroyed. And we'll come to the exact definition in a moment. So this narration is from Abdullah ibn Mas'ud. Abdullah ibn Mas'ud ibn Ghafil al-Hudhali. And he was a great scholar considered to be one of the biggest scholars of the companions. Abdullah ibn Mas'ud. And they used to return back to him for fatwa. And for narrations of hadith and other than that. So he was in the end from the biggest and the greatest of the companions, from the senior companions 
Islam from the early ones who entered into Islam radiyallahu an wa kana aydan ashadda an-nas tahdhiran min al-bid'ah wal and ibn mas'ud was from the most severe of the people in warning against the exaggeration and innovation and the stances he used to take against the people of innovation are well known and his speech in regards to the people of innovation is well known it is reported and narrated and that is a companion we're talking about Abdullah ibn Mas'ud and he was firm and tough against the people of innovation. So he mentioned that the Messenger وسلم, said, Halakal mutanatti'oon, Halakal mutanatti'oon, Halakal mutanatti'oon. It mentions in a version that he said it three times. Wal mutanatti'oon, Jam'u mutanatti'oon, Wa aslu tanatti'oon. هو التقعر في الكلام إظهارا للفصاحة The origin of a تنطع is to go deep التقعر to go deep في الكلام in your speech إظهارا للفصاحة to try to show how eloquent you are like we say basically to use big words Someone who tries to use excessive levels in language to try and show their fasaha, then that is what the origin of the word tanattu' comes from. The one who taqa'ara fil kalam, idharan lil fasaha. He delves deep into language in the style and the method to show idharan lil fasaha, to show eloquence. هَذَا هُوَ أَصْلُ التَّنَطُّعْ فِي اللُّغَةِ Linguistically, that's where the word uh, comes from. That's what the meaning of the word is. وَالْمُرَادُ هُنَا And the meaning here, in this context, هَلَكَ الْمُتَنَطِّعُونَ التَّنَطُّعْ فِي الْكَلَامِ So going into that deep level and becoming excessive in your style and your method of speech. وَالتَّنَطُّعْ فِي الْإِسْتِدْلَالِ And going overboard and excessive in your method of extracting evidences. وَالتَّنَطُّعْ فِي الْعِبَادَةِ And becoming excessive and beyond the limits and far into the levels of worship over and above what is prescribed. In the kalam, like we said, a person is mutanatti' in kalam. When a person attempts to delve in deep to show levels of eloquence in his speech using words that nobody's going to understand. And we're going to get to another narration where it is mentioned, speak to the people in a level that they comprehend. So that would be tanattu' in kalam, tanattu' fil istidlal, that you have evidences and they have meanings to them and rulings from them, but a person tries to look at an evidence and go so deep into it to try and extract something from it that simply doesn't exist in it. 
to try and go far, far deep into the levels with that evidence to extract something that doesn't even exist with that evidence. At-tanattu' fi al-istidlal. And then at-tanattu' fi al-ibadah. That's just the exaggeration then going into the levels of worship beyond what is prescribed in the Sharia. And the Shaykh, he mentions, At-tanattu' fi al-kalam, tanattu' in speech, it is an yatakallam al-insanu bil-kalimat al-gharibah min al-lugha, al-lati la yafhamuha al-nas, fayati bi-uslub wa al-fadh min wahshi al-lugha la ya'arifuha al-nas. It is that a person speaks with words that are unknown. They are from the language. They are from the language, but they are unknown words. The people do not understand those words. And he uses a style of speech, a style of talking, and style in his words that he uses from the strange and untouched areas of the language. If somebody really wanted to, you could sit here and write something in English, and perhaps 90% of the people in this room wouldn't understand it. Because you could use words that nobody ever uses. You could sit there and get the thesaurus out, get the synonyms out, and pick the strangest ones for each word, and then put your paragraph together, it's English. It's English, it's the language. And yet maybe 90% who read that paragraph don't understand what's going on because of the style in how you've written it, how you've constructed it in the English language. Talking about English, for example, that's the language here. The style that you've constructed it in, the choice of words that you've used in there, complex words that are not used by the people, not understood by the people, then this would be, and the Shaykh says, min using words and constructs from the deserted parts of the language, the, the parts of the language that are unknown and not used and not utilized, then that would be considered somebody being mutanatir in kalam, going overboard in his speech and his style and his words. Then, oh, and then the Shaykh says, وَكَذَلِكَ مِنَ التَّنَطُّعِ فِي الْكَلَامِ and also from the tanattu' in speech, أَنْ يُخَاطِبَ الْحَاضِرِينَ بِأَشْيَاءَ لَا يَفْهَمُونَهَا That a person speaks to the people with affairs that they cannot comprehend. That is also from you then, tanattu' in your speech. To talk to people with affairs that they do not comprehend. فَالنَّاسِ بِحَاجَةِ إِلَىٰ أَنْ يُبَيَّنْ لَهُمْ عَقِيدَتُهُمْ وَعِبَادَتُهُمْ وَطَهَارَتُهُمْ وَعَمَلَتُهُمْ ثُمَّ يَذْهَبُ يَتَكَلَّمُ فِي أَشْيَا بَعِيدَ عَنْهُمْ The people, the Shaykh says, are in need to have their aqeedah clarified to them. The people, the believers, the Muslims, they are in need to have their aqeedah clarified to them. And their worship, how to do your worship, the sunnah, clarified to them. Purification, how to do that, clarified to them. 
your interactions and dealings and transactions and business and all of the sunnah in various aspects, the people need those things clarifying to them. But then the shaykh says, But then a person, instead of going and teaching the people aqidah and worship and tahara and uh, dealings and transactions and business and buying and selling and the things that you need to know and the rulings of Islam you need to know, instead of that a person goes off on a tangent speaking about far-fetched affairs that have nothing to do with your aqidah, your ibadah, your worship, your interactions, business, buying, selling. And maybe they are affairs that are far from the society, meaning that society has no need for these particular affairs that you're talking to them about. Instead of talking to them about aqidah, ibadah, etc., you're talking to them about affairs that this society in question has no relation to and has no need for. بَلْ مِنْ مُجْتَمَعِهِمْ يَتَكَلَّمُ فِي أُمُورِ السِّيَاسَةِ A person begins talking about affairs of politics, worldwide politics and what's going on in this country and that country and this ruler, that ruler. وَالْأُمُورَ الْبَعِيدَةِ أُمُورَ الدُّوَلِ Affairs that are ba'idah, meaning they've got nothing to do with you. Far away matters. Nothing to do with your community, your society, what you need to learn and understand. Umur al-Dual, affairs of the other countries. This country doing this, that country doing that. Wal-umur wasail al-ilam. And affairs regarding the, the, like the news corporations and the various forms of broadcasting that goes on and talking about all of these worldwide matters وَأُمُورْ بَعِيدَةِ Far-flung affairs that have nothing to you or nothing to do with your community العوام لا يعرفون منها شيئاً The common folk do not know of these affairs and the details and the specifics of these affairs The commoners do not know بَلْ مِنْهُمْ مَنْ لَا يَعْرِفْ كَيْفَ يُصَلِّ There could be people in that society who don't even know yet how to pray properly. وَمِنْهُمْ مَنْ لَا يَعْرِفْ كَيْفَ يَتَوَضَّعْ And there will be amongst them those who do not even know how to make wudu properly. وَمِنْهُمْ مَنْ لَا يَعْرِفْ كَيْفَ يَغْتَسِلْ مِنَ الْجَنَابَةِ and there are those who do not even know how to make the ghusl properly. فَيَخْرُجُونَ بِجَهْلِهِمْ وَمَنْ تَفَعُوا بِهَذَا الْكَلَامِ الْبَعِيدِ الْغَرِيبِ عَنْ أَسْمَاعِهِمْ And so those common folk who are sitting there, listening to you talking about far-fetched affairs that are not relevant to you as a community, as a society, they are not relevant to your level or to your needs in your religion, so the shaykh says those common folk, if they sit there and you talk to them about those far-fetched affairs, instead of affairs of their religion and worship and ibadah, then they will simply exit from that gathering at the end, not having benefited from your speech whatsoever. Not having benefited from your speech that is far-fetched from their hearing. Meaning these are affairs that are beyond them. Affairs that they don't need to be dragged into beyond them and they don't understand them. هَذَا مِنَ التَّنَطْعَ Then that would be considered from التَّنَطْعَ 
in the meaning of that word, التنطع. And the Shaykh says, why do people even do that then? Why would a person come along to try and demonstrate all this eloquence and, and uh, his ability to talk about far-fetched affairs that people don't know about? Why? غرض المتكلم The intent of the speaker who does that and يُبَيِّنَ لِلنَّاسِ أَنَّهُ فَاهِمْ to show the people, basically to impress the people, that I know all of these things. I have knowledge about this and that and this and that and all of these affairs. يُبَيِّنَ لِلنَّاسِ أَنَّهُ فَاهِمْ وَأَنَّهُ مُثَقَّفْ And that he is, مُثَقَّفْ uh, meaning like, he is well-rounded with knowledge of all of the various affairs in the world, good, strong, general knowledge of everything, is well grounded in all of the different matters that is muthaqqaf. Walaw ala hisab al-hadirin. And that kind of person will do that even if it is on account of the attendees, even if they suffer, even if they go out of that speech of his, not having benefited from it, it doesn't connect to them, they don't understand those affairs, they go out not having benefited, even if they do, he will do that at their expense. عَلَى حِسَابَ الْحَاضِرِينَ وَلَوْ مَا فَهِمُوا وَلَوْ مَا عَرَهُ شَيْئًا Even if they don't understand and they don't get anything of what he said. That is تَنَطُّعْ هَذَا مِنَ التَّنَطُّعْ وَالْمَطْلُوبَ And this, just a general example, I'm sure I've mentioned it before, Sheikh Ali Nasir al-Faqih, when he used to teach in the Haram throughout the year, he would teach the different books of Aqidah, and he would teach in the normal style that a scholar teaches. But then when it came to Ramadan season, and Hajj season, and all of the foreign people, they come into Medina in those times, and his classes would be full of not just the students now, but many, many outsiders who have come for Umrah in Ramadan, who have come for Hajj at Hajj time. So then at those times, we used to notice blatantly, clear what he used to do. He would change the style of how he speaks and how he delivers the lecture and the words and the language that he uses. When he used to see that so many people are here these days in Ramadan or these days in Hajj that are from the commoners from other countries, they've just come to do Hajj and Umrah. He would speak in a much more colloquial way. He would even speak in words that are not fusha colloquial with those people in order to make them understand. Because if he kept it at the level of language, proper fusha, everything detail, high level, that you expect the students to be at that level, but the common people who come, maybe they will not be. And so he would reduce it and do a different type of style in his speech. Clearly we could see it was addressed so that the common folk who were there would all understand. And that is not something new from the Shaykh. Before him, a Shaykh Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab, Rahimallah Ta'ala, Thalathatul Usul, the three fundamental principles, there are different versions of it. There is a version that everybody has and everybody memorizes. That's the standard version that was written for the students, etc. There is another version that was written in slang Arabic for the common people who don't learn 
proper eloquent fusha Arabic, a slang Arabic version of the three fundamental principles was written, a colloquial version, so that the common folk who are not educated can read that and it's in their slang, in their colloquial Arabic. And this was from 300 years ago, 200 years ago. It's in Ad-Durr As-Siniyyah. And if you try to read it, you will not understand it. The Arabs, if they read it these days, will see if anybody understands it. That written 200 years ago from the colloquial Arabic, the, the Ammiyah that they used to speak in those days. But he wrote it so that they would understand. They would understand. They may not understand the Fusha proper version. So the point here, the one who speaks in that type of way, with those types of subjects that are not, they don't connect with those people, they are not something that is relevant to their society, far-fetched affairs from other countries and here and there, and the speech does not benefit them, this is minat tanattu'a. والمطلوب and what is required من الخطيب والمحاضر والمتكلم والمدرس أن يتكلم في حدود ما يفهمه الحاضرين الحاضرون what is required from the khatib and the lecturer and whoever's talking the teacher is that he speaks in a way whereby the attendees understand whereby the attendees understand what he is saying. You have understood what I've been saying. Alhamdulillah. So you speak in a way that is understandable to the people. وَأَنْ يَكُونَ قَصْدُهُ نَفْعَ الْحَاضِ One time in the, uh, the University of Medina, in one of the classes, one of the lectures, one of the teachers did exactly that. So he was reading through the section, it was Al-Iman Bil-Yawm Al-Akhir, or Al-Qadr, or Al-Sahaba, or Al-Iman, one of the topics we were doing from the Iman topics. He went through the class, he went through the notes, he went through the evidences, everything, then he stopped and he said, Fahimtum, after about 20 minutes of talking, 10 minutes of talking, explaining, he says, do you all understand then? And he picked one or two, and they couldn't answer. He said, Ma Fahimtum Shaykh, you didn't get anything. And that's not because of the way he was talking. The students understood what he was saying, but they just didn't get it because of the level and the evidences. And so you had to explain again. So, al-matloob, what is required is that you talk to the people at their level that they understand. Wa, and on top of that, not just the level of how you speak to people. وَمَا هُمْ بِحَاجَ إِلَيْهِ فِي أُمُورِ دِينِهِمْ That the content that you speak to the people with is a content that they are in need of in regards to the affairs of their religion. Not that you say, okay, I'll speak in a toned down level of language, but I'm going to talk about the politics of such and such a country. Rather, with a level that people understand, with a content that is relevant and needed by the people for their religion. From whatever that affair may be, their interactions, dealings, business, mannerisms, affairs of the religion. You talk to them regarding their religion at a manner that they can understand. And his intent needs to be 
to benefit those who are in attendance, that they understand what he is saying. And so they benefit from that. His intent should not be لا يكون قصده إظهار شخصيته His intention from his speech and what he's putting out to the people, what he's saying to the people, talking to them, lecturing, khutbas, should not be to make apparent his strength of personality. Look at what I can talk about and how I can talk about it. Should not be about presenting his own personality. وَإِظْهَارْ فَصَاحَتِهِ and to present his own eloquence. And this exists, that sometimes you might get a khatib, and he comes on, uh, in Arabic, you, you know, in some of the Arab countries, perhaps a khatib comes on, and his khutbah is the most eloquent you have heard. So eloquent that you don't understand the vast majority of it. The way that he speaks and how he puts the Arabic together. So a person should not attempt to do something that is only to demonstrate the strength of his personality and look at what I am and my eloquence. But rather it is to benefit the people. So the one who doesn't do the benefit and doesn't have that as his intention, his intention is to show his own personality and his own eloquence and to delve into far-fetched affairs. Then that comes into this affair. هَذَا هَالِكْ كَمَا قَالَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَّى فَلْنَحْذَرْ مِنْ هَذَا حِينَمَا نَتَكَلَّمُ فِي دَرْسِ So let us be precautious about this affair. Take caution when we speak in a lesson, giving a lesson, وَحِينَمَا نَخْطُبُ فِي جُمْعَةً And when we give a Jum'a khutbah, or Eid khutbah, or for the istisqa, the rain prayer, حِينَمَا نُلْقِي مُحَاضَرًا When we deliver a lecture, عَلَيْنَا أَن نُرَاعِي حَالَ الْحَاضِرِينَ It is upon us to take into consideration the level of the audience. وَنَأْتِيَ مِنَ الْكَلَامِ بِمَا يَفْهَمُونَ And that you speak in a way that they can understand وَمَا يَسْتَفِيدُونَ مِنْهُ And what they can benefit from. وَأَيْضًا يَكُونَ بِأُسْلُوبِ سَهْلِ لَا نَتَعَمَّدْ الْمَجِئِ بِأَسَالِيبِ لَا يَفْهَمُونَهَا and you keep it in a simple style. Don't purposely try to deliver the lecture in some superior style that they are not going to understand. And using speech and words that nobody understands and nobody uses. But rather pick an appropriate topic and an appropriate method of delivering that topic. And the language that people can understand. This is the type of person who wants goodness for people and wants uh, 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 to educate the people. And this is important. Uh, and they even used to have in the university as part of the curriculum, there was one semester where one of the subjects was exactly this, your ability to teach, and they would explain prophetic methods of teaching. How would the Prophet ﷺ teach his companions? What would he do? What types of style would he use? Like common things, for example, Q&A. The Messenger regularly you see in the Hadith, 
he would come to the companions and ask them a question. Then when they would say, Allahu wa Rasuluhu A'lam, after they thought about it, etc., then he would give them the answer. That is a prophetic method of teaching. Because when you've asked a question, you have now taken the mind of that person to focus. The mind of that person is now focused on your question. And is thinking about that question, trying to work out the answer. So you've got his attention completely. Then you give him the answer, it will stick in his mind better. As opposed to straight away just giving the answer to someone, whereas it may not stick properly that way. That's an example. And there are many other examples they used to mention about the methods of teaching. And so that's why the scholars, they say, sometimes you could have somebody who is very knowledgeable, but they have no ability or very little ability to convey that knowledge. It could be that somebody is quite knowledgeable, but they don't know basically how to teach that knowledge. They don't know how to get that across to other people for them to understand. So that's something that you must also have an ability in when giving da'wah to your families, giving da'wah to neighbors, society, community, people there. You have to have an ability to be able to put that across in a good way. And the only way you can learn that is by regularly listening to the scholars. How do the scholars give their lessons? How do they talk about this topic? How do the scholars talk about this hadith of At-Tanatta? Listen to the explanations. See how they explain it. How do they explain these other chapters? The more you listen to the scholars, the more you become acquainted with how to talk about these different topics. What to mention, what not to mention. Because sometimes, if a person doesn't know that, you could sit here now, for example, and go into a topic beyond what is required. For example, now, imagine we did Al-Qawa'id Al-Arba'ah. Imagine we did Al-Qawa'id Al-Arba' and we took a hundred lessons to do it. That would be a mistake from the teacher. A hundred lessons to do Al-Qawa'id Al-Arba' The whole of Al-Qawa'id Al-Arba' is one page. One A4 page. How are you going to take a hundred lessons to do that one A4 page? The teacher is doing something wrong. It's a, a, a Sheikh Ubaid. When we did it with him, he did it in two lessons. Other scholars, they used to finish it in three lessons. Al-Qawa'id al-Arba'a, the four fundamental principles, you've seen it. So if a teacher came along now and did a hundred lessons on it, then it shows that there's something wrong in his teaching in that. Because he is then teaching it in a way that really it's not supposed to be taught. Al-Qawa'id al-Arba'a is a basic beginner book. You keep it at a basic beginner explanation. Then you go to the next book and give a bit more detail. Next book and a bit more detail. But if somebody does Al-Qawa'id Al-Arba' for example, this is just an example, and he starts quoting 30-page sections from Ibn Taymiyyah's Majmu' Al-Fatawa, and 30-page sections from Ibn Al-Qayyim's books, and 30-page sections from other scholars of the past, and that's his explanation on Al-Qawa'id Al-Arba', then he has not understood how to do things properly. That's just an example. Obviously, nobody does that. And you're not going to find any explanation of Al-Qawaid Al-Arba' in a hundred cassettes or a hundred recordings. But just as an example. So a person needs to know what level and how to deliver a lecture and what to do with that. 
وأمير المؤمنين علي ابن أبي طالب يقول and this is the example from Ali ibn Abi Talib uh, before we get to that أما الذي يريد أن يظهر نفسه على حساب الناس فهذا هو المتنطع وهذا لا يفيد شيئا ويخرج كما دخل من غير فائدة but as for the person who doesn't do it at the right level and doesn't choose the correct content into other So he mentions here, Ali ibn Abi Talib radiyallahu anhu said, حَدِّثُ النَّاسَ بِمَا يَعْرِفُونَ Speak to the people with what they understand, what they know, they can comprehend. أَتُرِيدُونَ أَنْ يُكَذَّبُ اللَّهُ وَرَسُولُهُ Do you want that Allah and His Messenger are belied? Meaning you speak to the people with affairs in a way they can't understand, so they end up Rejecting those affairs, you speak to them in a way that they don't understand, so they end up rejecting those affairs. There are even certain topics, Islamic topics, where some of the scholars have differences of opinion over those topics, and some of the scholars even mentioned that certain opinions in that topic, you shouldn't explain certain opinions to the common folk, because they won't understand them and they'll just end up rejecting that. No, that can't be right. That's not the sunnah. Because they can't grasp certain opinions. So scholars have mentioned sometimes in issues where there are differences, there could be an opinion of some of the scholars on that particular topic, different issues, different topics, where it's a bit difficult for the commoners to comprehend. And some of them mentioned, therefore, don't mention that to the commoners. They're going to look at it, reject it, and say, no, that's not the sunnah. So sometimes you have to consider carefully how and what you present to the people and how you explain it. The second thing he mentioned was, where people, they go in too far, trying to extract evidence from something where there is no evidence there to be extracted. You have an ayah, you have evidences from that ayah, but a person looks at that ayah and goes so far deep into the levels to try and pull something out regarding the ayah, and that thing which he ended up pulling out actually has no connection to this ayah. He's gone too far 
trying to make connections to this ayah, trying to make connections to this hadith with evidences or with understandings and interpretations that are far beyond what those evidences are talking about. And so the person has made a mistake there. That is tanattu' trying to delve into evidences over and above what they are to try and extract things that cannot be extracted from them. As the scholars, they say, sometimes you see in the books, this is takalluf. That sometimes you have an evidence and one of the scholars may say, this evidence proves that you can do X, Y, and Z. And it's quite difficult to see how it can prove that. But if you try, then yes, you can just about make a connection from this ayah or this hadith to the point of evidence this particular person is saying it proves. But then other scholars, they say, look, you've tried so hard to find this point of evidence from this ayah. You've tried so hard, you've fallen into takalluf that you've gone over and above and you've tried too hard. And you've gone beyond what the ayah goes to. You've tried too hard and you've gone beyond what the hadith is saying. At-takalluf. That you're going over and above and beyond what is actually there. And this is something that occurred primarily, mostly from the people of innovation, the philosophers, the people of rhetoric, all of those deviants, Ahlul Bid'ah, when it came to the names and attributes of Allah, that's what they did. They delved into the affairs to such a degree with their intellects and logic and all types of things that they ended up twisting evidences into interpretations that do not exist for those evidences. Tanattu' that they fell into with regards to extracting evidences. And all of that came from the Greeks and the Greek philosophers and their mentality and their way of thinking. الواجب أن يكون الاستدلال بالأدلة أشرعية من الكتاب والسنة وإجماع المسلمين والقياس الصحيح كما عليه علماء أهل السنة والجماعة. What is obligatory is that the extraction of evidences should be from the proven proofs of the Quran and the Sunnah and the consensus of the Muslims and the correct analogies that can be made as the scholars of Ahlul Sunnah did. Don't give your own explanations on things and your own interpretations. Rather, look to see what the scholars have mentioned. What have the scholars said about this? What have the scholars said about that? And stick to that. Stick to their explanations. There is no need for you to come along now and write a sharh of Sahih al-Bukhari. It is there, it is done, and there are multiple explanations stick with those and what is there and what is mentioned and what the scholars have said and what the salaf they said it is enough a person does not need to go over and above and end up interpreting things beyond what they can be interpreted as لهذا يقول الإمام الشافعي حكمي في أهل الكلام أن يضربوا بالجريد والنعال الإمام الشافعي said my opinion about the people of innovation is that they should be beaten with the the uh, uh, like the palm, the, the, the leather kind of things, and the shoes. And to drag them around uh, amongst the people, show them, humiliate them. 
وأن يقال هذا جزاء من أعرض عن الكتاب والسنة واشتغل بعلم الكلام and to say then this is the recompense of those who turned away from the Quran and the Sunnah and they got involved with the uh, uh, rhetoric and the philosophy. So these are all in the affairs of Halak al The third affair that was mentioned was al-Tanattu' fil ibadah and that we've already explained now about exaggeration and going beyond the limits in terms of your worship and how you do your worship, beyond the limits of the prescribed uh, sharia. So to conclude this chapter then, there are certain benefits here at the end as a conclusion and summary. Number one, التحذير من الغلو في مدحه صلى الله عليه وسلم Be warned from praising the messenger over and above the prescribed limits. الثانية الرد على أصحاب المدائح النبوية التي غلوا فيها It's a refutation upon those people who exaggerated in their praise of the messenger. Like the Sufis, they say, a poet, he wrote this beautiful poetry about the messenger, speaking about the messenger and beautiful things about the messenger. And this poet lived in Syria, Palestine, some other area. And when he came to Medina, this is hundreds of years ago, when he came to Medina, when he came to give salam to the messenger, when you stood at the grave, they say the messenger came out of his grave. And he said, I wanted to thank you personally for the beautiful poem you wrote about me. All types of lies and exaggeration. Thirdly, the prohibition of imitating the Christians. They fell into ghulu. As Muslims, we do not fall into ghulu. That is uh, some of the main points and the rest we've covered them all now. We have covered all of the points generally. And one thing we could mention as well, I recall as Sheikh Ubaid al-Jabiri, Hafizahullah Ta'ala, when he taught this chapter, one of the points I recall he made was that all of these things in this chapter, most of them we were talking about the Christians and the, the Ahlul Kalam and the philosophers and those types of people. But he said all of these evidences are applicable to the general Muslims. If you start falling into ghulu in your affairs, then these evidences become applicable to you. Do not think that only the Christians fell into ghulu and the Muslims cannot. It is applicable if the Muslims fall into it, then the evidence apply to you as well. So that is the end of the chapter. That's what we'll conclude today. Inshallah ta'ala from next week then. We'll start the next chapter, which is the severe affair of the one who worships Allah next to the grave of a righteous person, let alone the one who actually worships that dead person. So we'll start that chapter next week, inshallah ta'ala.